So I'm going to share with you this morning just four points to this prayer that will take you out of your comfort zone, but it will transform your life. And it's in Psalm 139, and it's verse 23 to 24, and it says this, Search me, God, and know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The interesting thing about this prayer is it was prayed by David, King David, right at a point where he has been accused of all sorts of things. And rather than praying a prayer of, God, come to my defense, God, uh, you know, there's false accusers coming against you or anything like that, David's response to all the stuff that was happening, this false accusation that was coming his way, this, this horrible situation that he was in was not for God to defend him, but it was search me, oh God. I love the fact that David, in the midst of trouble, didn't start blaming others. But he took this opportunity in the midst of trouble, in the midst of accusation against him to say, search me, God. Not them, search me. Search me and see, know my heart, test me, know if there's any anxious or any fears that I have and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in a way that's everlasting. I love that David looked at himself first. I actually think that's a key for all of us when we're going through difficult times or when maybe offensive things are happening towards us or Maybe in your marriage, you and your wife are just clashing the whole time. I think one of the first things we should always do is go search me first. Come on. Don't you go quiet on me this morning. But search me first. If somebody says something horrible to me, search me first. I want to check me first before I respond in any way. Because if I don't check me first, usually I'll react to it rather than respond to it. And everybody knows a reaction comes out of emotion where a response comes out of and so it's a key prayer to me that he prays this. And it's broken up really into four sections. And the first one is this, search my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. I always have this you know, question sometimes when I come to pray in this prayer. It's like, why would I pray that God would search my heart? He knows my heart. Yeah? The Bible says that God knows all of your thoughts, everything that you're about to do before you do it. He knows. So why would I pray, search my heart? And anyway, my, my heart's pretty good anyway. Yes? Most of us have that response, or, or you've heard this saying before, she's got a good heart, or he's got a good heart. Have you ever heard somebody say that before about somebody? They've got a good heart. They've got a great heart. Well, the reality is, friend, is that that's not entirely accurate. Actually, they don't have a good heart, they have a de deceitful heart. Because Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked... Who really knows how bad it is? How many people feel encouraged this morning by that? I've discovered that just about every bad thing I do starts in my heart. Not because of somebody else, but because of a heart decision that I make. In fact, the Bible says that murder and all those things Jesus says starts in the heart. The heart is incredibly wicked. It is a wicked, wicked thing when it's out of God's hands. It does all sorts of crazy things. We can see that all over the world at the moment with laws being passed in some countries where children can be killed after they've been born. And they call it abortion, but it's actually murder. We see deceitful, wicked, horrendous things happening out of the hearts of people. And the thing is, is what we need to understand that without Christ, our heart is not good at all. Our heart is not good. In fact, we deceive ourselves and we deceive others if we think that we have a good heart outside of Christ. Christ comes to renew our heart, to save our heart. 
And it's the most common lie we tell ourselves is that we're okay, that we're good. But the heart is deceitful and we deceive ourselves. Well, what do you mean, Craig? Like how, how is the heart deceitful? Well, here's some things that we kind of say to ourselves sometimes which proves that the heart is deceitful. We say things like, I'm not full of pride. I just can't help it that I'm better than everybody else. Come on. Or I don't lust. I just appreciate a, f- a fine physique in a woman. Yeah, come on. I'm not materialistic. I just like nice things. I'm not a gossip. Gossip. I'm just telling everyone so they can pray for those people doing bad things. Come on, that's a great, great church one. That one. Oh, it's, I, I'm. I'm not telling you to gossip. I'm just telling you so you can pray. Whatever. Sometimes prayer chains are just basically gossip chains. But anyway, that's another story. What we really need is a prayer that goes to God and says this, God, search me. Search me. Show me what's in my heart. Search my heart, oh God. Let me see. When you pray a prayer like search my heart, it's a, it's a dangerous prayer. Because the problem is, is when you ask him to show what's in your heart, he'll show you what's in your heart. And the problem with that is is that most things in our heart that he shows us are not good things. They're not pure things. But God doesn't do it to be cruel to us. Because God's not a mean God. God's a good God. God doesn't show us things that we need to change in our hearts to be cruel, but to bring us into a deeper intimacy with him so that the Holy Spirit can transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. He doesn't show us the wicked things in our hearts because he's trying to depress us. He's showing us because he has an answer to the wickedness in your heart so that you can have a good heart, so you can be all the things that he created you to be and that you can be a blessing everywhere you go. He's not trying to hurt you and he's not trying to embarrass you and he's not trying to punish you, but he's trying to love on you and everyone around you. Are you with me this morning? Because you're really quiet and it's disturbing me. It's a dangerous prayer. To pray, search me, O God. But friend, it is the best prayer that you could ever pray that can make you much closer to God. And in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to encourage you to be bold enough, to be dangerous enough to pray a prayer that says, search me, O God. The next thing that he goes on to say, he says, search me and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Second thing he says to him is, I want you to reveal my, my fears. Reveal the fears that I have. Search my Anxious thoughts, know my anxious thoughts. A lot of the times we don't even acknowledge our fears, yes? We try to pretend they're not there. Yeah? If we ignore them long enough, they might go away. I must be preaching to myself this morning. But I ask you a question this morning. What, what really makes you afraid? And I'm not talking about snakes and spiders. Those are false fears. Anybody that has a fear of snakes and spiders has issues. For those that don't know, my wife has a fear of snakes and she'll throw her iPad across the room if there's a picture of it. I'm not talking about snakes and spiders. I'm not talking about a fear of the water or, or some people have a, don't like going to the beach because they get sand between their toes. What, what I'm talking about is what, what makes you afraid internally? What goes on the inside of you that makes you anxious? Are you a are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of being stuck in a marriage that you just don't believe can get any better? Are you afraid of the future, the unknown, you just don't know what it's going to look like? Are, 
Are you afraid of failing? Some people are afraid of succeeding. Some people are afraid of loss. They're so scared that they're going to lose somebody because they lost somebody at some stage. And they're like, what if, what if I lose something that I value so dearly? We all have fears on the inside of us. We all have anxiousness on the inside of us about things. And so why would you, why would you say in a prayer to God, show me what my fears are, show me what my anxious thoughts are? Why would you pray that? Why would you want to bring that to the surface? Because it's really, really simple. Because what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. It's a great prayer to pray because it shows us where we don't trust Him. It shows us where we need Him. It shows Him shows us where we've got some stuff we've got to work on. And that's not a bad thing because all of us at the start of the year all want to be better than when we started the year. Nobody wants to be worse person at the end of this year than when you started the year. And so he says, reveal my anxious thoughts. If I'm afraid of not paying the bills, then friend, then you just don't trust God to be your provider. If you're afraid that your children can't be kept safe, then you're not trusting God with your children. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. And God reveal my fears is what David is praying here, saying, show me where I trust you the least. Show me where I have my fears. Test me, God. Show me where my anxious thoughts fall. Show me where my, show me where my fears fall. And, and I, I'm going to share with you this morning one of my fears, because there's no point me telling you about this if I don't be honest with you about mine, but one of my big fears that I have that I constantly have to come to God about is I have a fear of failing. I have a fear of, uh, it's beyond really a fear of failing, I have a fear of letting people down. I have a fear of letting people down, of, of people being upset. And, and as I pray about this, and as I prayed about it this week, as once again it came to the surface for me as I prayed and asked Him to show me my anxious thoughts, I realized that Attached to that fear of failure, attached to that fear of letting people down is this, this sense of inadequacy, of not being adequate, not being enough, not being good enough, not being righteous enough, not being godly enough, not being wise enough, not being whatever enough. That's my fear, and it's a real issue because in my role in the church leading it, I need to be someone who leads in faith, not fear. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God, and there are some things that I really, really believe that God wants to do in the life of our church, but I have no guarantees that it's going to work. And so fear creeps in to my thinking, and often my fear will keep me from being obedient because I'm scared that it may not work out, and then I'll let people down, and then my fears take over. And I'm just telling you this because it's probably more than you want to know when you come into this church and you think I'm amazing and wonderful and great pastor, but the reality is I'm just like you guys. The only difference is, is that he's asked me to do this and he hasn't asked you to, but it doesn't make me better. And if honesty from the pulpit is something you struggle with, then you will struggle in this church because I'm not here to tell you how awesome I am. I'm here to tell you what God's done in my life. And as I was going through this this week and I really said, God, you've got to show me. You've got to get me to the root of this problem. You've got to show me what really is the root of this problem. And the reality is this, friend, it's really, really simple. 
as he spoke to me, is that I have to learn to love pleasing him more than I love pleasing people. And when he spoke that to me this week, it was incredibly powerful to me. Because I love people. But I have to love pleasing him and being obedient to him more than I'm afraid of failing. And the thing about the walk of faith is that it should not be filled with anxious steps, but with positive expectation of what he's about to do. And sometimes we walk this life of faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we walk it with fear. Each step we take, we take with fear. But I want to I wanna say to you this morning, as I say to myself, if God is a good God, if he knows the plans that he has for you for a future and a hope, every step should not be filled with fear, but should be filled with expectation of what it is that he's about to do. Because he's good and he's not bad. What you fear the most is reveals where you trust God the least. So what do you do when you discover these fears that you have? Well, you, you start to renew your mind through scripture, the Bible says. And so this week, I've been saying this every single day since Monday, and I'll say it again today and another time. I've already done it once this morning, and I'll do it again, but I start quoting scriptures like perfect love casts out all fear. Things like God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And we start to speak the word over our lives. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not having heard it once, but over and over again. And we're going to speak that stuff into our world so that our mind transforms and our thinking lines up with our spirit and then we're able to step into the things that God has. It's the only way to overcome. The only way to overcome, Jesus showed it to us at the end of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights where he just quoted scripture after scripture to every temptation of the enemy. The only way to overcome your fears and your inadequacies and anxiousness that you have is the word of God. Nothing else will do it. And we need to be quoting it and speaking it. Because what we fear the most reveals we trust God the least. And the great thing is, is that when you pray this prayer, suddenly you realize that there's an area that you're not really trusting God. And suddenly you start to understand what it is that you need to do. And you start to find scripture and you start to quote God's word and speak it over the root problem in your world. And things start to shift and it becomes an anchor moment for you when you suddenly say, no, 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 I'm going to take this step of faith. I'm not going to fear I trust him. I know he is with me. I don't need to fear. He never leaves me, nor does he forsake me. He is always with me, and so I can take this step. I can I can not be afraid of my anxious thoughts, but I can step out and trust him. I will do what God's calling me to do, but friend, this is a dangerous prayer because it's going to require you to step out in faith. When you pray this, God will reveal things to you about yourself that you may not have been willing to acknowledge for years and years and years. If we're all honest with ourselves this morning, every single one of us have stuff that we know that we need to deal with, which we just put into the ignore for years box. Some of you had childhood traumas that you won't even talk about. You've just shoved that away in the bottom drawer right at the back. But the thing is this, is that whether you try to shove trauma or stuff in your world into your subconsciousness so you never have to think about it again the reality is friend is that brain doctors and and psychiatrists will tell you that you automatically operate and behave in a way of when that trauma first happened to you and that's why you can get 50 something year old people behaving like six-year-old children 
because it triggers off your subconscious and you go back to the trauma and you behave at the age that you were. So we need God to come and reveal our ways, deal with the things that we've been hiding for years because the most common lie we tell ourselves is that we're okay. But David says here, hey, search my heart, God. Reveal my fears. And the third thing he says is uncover my sins. So he says, see if there's any offensive way in me. In other words, God, see if there's any offensive way in me. Show me, God, anything in my life that is inconsistent with your truth. Show me anything that I'm doing that's displeasing me. Because seeing your own sin is quite difficult, yeah? Seeing your own imperfections are quite difficult. In, in, in my world, it's quite difficult to see that I'm not perfect because my wife tells me regularly about how perfect I am and what a hot body I have. And It's not until I look in front of the mirror to realize that she's lying to me. But it's so easy to see the faults in others, isn't it? It's so easy to point out where everybody else is failing. Come on, let's just be honest this morning. We all do it. It's like when I have clashes with people, I can see what their problem is. I don't think about what my problem is. I just think about what their problem is. So easy for us to see everybody else's, but it's so hard for us to see ours. Why? Because we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. I know that don't sit nicely for some of you, but it's the reality. We accuse others and we excuse ourselves. We accuse others of what they've done, but we excuse the role that we've played. And some of you have gone through incredibly traumatic experiences, maybe with alcoholic parents or drug parents, or you've been abused and physically, emotionally, sex, maybe sexually abused. And, and I'm not saying that it's that you are in the wrong in any of those things, but friend, if all you're ever doing is accusing people of what they've done, you'll start to excuse yourself of your bad behavior. You'll start to do things like, I remember one guy said to me once, he goes, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy when it came to, you know, how he was as a husband towards his wife. But she's not married to that guy, she's married to this guy. She doesn't care what that guy's like, she wants this guy to be the right guy. And we will excuse ourselves of what change we need to make because at least I'm not as bad as that person. And we'll accuse them of what they are. And, and I just think we've just got to get honest with ourselves and say, hey God, search me, search my heart. Show me where my fears are and show me what sin I've got. Because the Bible says that the heart is the most deceitful thing. It's easy to see everybody else's, but the heart is deceitful above all things. And as I said earlier, the most common lie we tell ourselves is that we're all right. But if you pray this kind of prayer, it can be one of the most game-changing prayers that you'll ever pray when you give God permission to point out what sin is dwelling in your heart. Let me just give you three things that will help you in this process to help you become more self-aware. Because the reason why we don't see stuff in our own lives is because we're not self-aware in our own lives. And the first thing that you need to be self-aware of is First question you've got to ask yourself is, what are other people trying to tell me? What people that I love in my world are constantly telling me I need to sort out? We've all got people that love us, yes? Yes? Okay, some of you don't. We all have people that love us, 
And the people that love us the most are usually the people that are closest to us. Yes? My children have no problem whatsoever pointing out where I am failing. God bless them. Why? Because people closest to you will tell you the truth. They're not trying to be mean and they're not trying to be hurtful. They're trying to tell you the truth. And if you've got people close to you consistently telling you, hey, and it's the same thing over and over again, then you need to pay close attention to that because they're seeing something in you that you need to do. Now, when you point out something in somebody, don't do it, she's gone, so don't, don't do it my kid's way, which is just brutal. Do it in a nice, loving way of saying, hey, I love you, but you need to understand that this this is a, this is an issue. And you, man, I'll help you walk through it. Where my kids don't help me walk through my issues. The second question: Ask yourself is, what have I rationalised for some time? What have I rationalised for some time? In other words, you may be right, but it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's just, it's just the way that I'm wired. It's just who I am. It's just how I cope. Uh, you know, it's nobody else's business anyway. I'm not hurting anybody. Man, if you're trying to rationalize stuff, you've got a problem. I'm not hurting anybody anyway. You know, I, I, know, I know probably drinking six or eight beers every single night is not a good thing, but I'm not hurting anyone. Yeah, you are. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your body. You're hurting your liver. And if you can't go a night without having a drink, then friend, you're an alcoholic, even if it's just one. Because if you can't survive 24 hours without a drink, you have a problem. But you'll rationalize it by saying, oh, it's just one. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a glass of wine with your meal. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, don't let it rule you. Yes? The Bible says, don't get drunk. It doesn't say, don't have a glass of wine. But I'm just trying to say, show you a picture of how we rationalize things. I, I know I snap at the kids and I just lose it, but that's just the way that I'm wired. It's just who I am. Because I'm that kind of person. I'm the kind of person that goes, you know, when, when something happens, and I've had to work on this, when something happens, I'm kind of like, that's okay. When really on the inside, I'm ticked off. And that'll be, this happened the second time, that's okay. When I'm getting angrier, third time, that's okay. And it'll let me go four or five times where I'm saying that's okay. And the sixth time, it just, the, the cork comes out and then it's all on. Hurricane Craig comes out of the corner. And so I've had to learn to say, actually, that's not okay. That's not what I asked you to do. And slowly build to that place. But what I've discovered is this. Well, no, you don't even get to that place. But what I've discovered is if I deal, if I say it's not okay from the start, it never gets to the place where I lose my cool. And so we, I could turn around and just go, that's the way that I'm wired, but it it's, doesn't make it right. Try to rationalize. If you're trying to rationalize your behavior, friend, you've got a problem. The third thing you've got to ask yourself is, where am I most defensive? Where am I most defensive? I hear people say this, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm just pointing out, don't judge me for murdering somebody. No. I can't have murdered somebody. You know? That's my preference. I don't have a problem with that. What are you talking about that for? I, I told you, I don't want to talk about that. So we start getting really defensive. We're not going there. We're not talking about this. We're not having this discussion. 
You get really, what do you get defensive about? What do you get defensive about when people try to talk to you about things? If you're getting defensive about things, it's because you've got a problem in that area and you need to be honest with yourself. See, when you have the courage to pray this prayer, see if there's any offensive way in me. Here's the thing, God will point out things that you've been trying to explain away for a long time. God will point some things out that you're trying to deny, but the Bible teaches us if we submit to that, if we submit ourselves to what God is trying to show you and then have the courage to bring it into the light, to talk to someone, to get some counseling, to do something about it, then God will bring healing. Not, it's not a punishment. He wants to see you whole. He wants to see you whole. When you add up all the things that I've seen in my life over this week as I prayed for things, what I see in me is that for a vast majority of my life, I've battled with living for the approval of people rather than living for the approval of God. And that was no more prevalent than in my teenage years as I became the life of the party everywhere I went and did stupid things just so that everybody would like me. Really at the core of my life, if I'm really honest, is that my biggest weakness has been living for the approval of people instead of the approval of God. And if that's too honest for you this morning, I'm, I'm not sure what I can do other than say, pray for me. Because I've got to live for the approval of God, not the approval of people. And pastoring a church can sometimes be really difficult in that area because sometimes we make decisions about things that you don't like. Or I've got to say things to you that you ain't going to like when you come for counselling and you're being a Richard head to your wife. I will tell you when you are maybe nagging, I'll let you know. Why? Because I've got to love you enough to tell you the truth. But the problem with that is, is that my fear on the inside of me is I want your approval and I want you to like me. Man, it's been a struggle for both Trinity and I as we've raised our children because we want our kids to like us, yes? But when they're snotty little two- and three-year-olds, they don't need a friend. They need the hand onto the bottom. Otherwise, you have a spoiled child, as the Bible teaches us. Not a beating, but a correction. When they're 14 years of age, that's okay. You're allowed men, when you've got a 14-year-old son and he comes and hits you as he walks past on his way to getting a drink, you're allowed to get up out of your chair and give him a hiding. That's what, that's what we're allowed to do. Can I get any amens from dads out there? Teenage sons require a good punch in the arm every now and then, yes? Come on. Don't leave me hanging. Girls, you treat them with love and dignity, but the boys just need a good thump every now and then. Ace. I'm just joking, Okay. Please don't go and report me to sis. So living for the approval of people instead of the approval of God, for me, man, it's, that's, that's not cool, especially when you're a pastor, because I've got to learn to live for the audience of one. In fact, every single one of us should be living for the audience of one, not for the audience of others. So what does that do when I realize I have this issue? What does it do? Well, it points me to my need for Jesus. It's, it's not something for me to be upset about. It's not something for me to be depressed about. Because wherever I am weak, it just points my need for Jesus. And the Bible says this, that the righteous run into the tower and are saved. I don't have to run away from him when I have a weakness, but I run to him. 
the Bible says, come into his presence boldly. Look, it's, it's, I, I have weaknesses. He knows I have weaknesses. It's no surprise to him. He doesn't sit up there and go, Flo, I didn't realize Craig was like that. He knows you. He knows your whole entire life. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what you're going to do. He knows the mistakes you're going to make. And he's not in heaven afraid of the mistakes you're going to make, but he just sits there waiting for you to say, I need you. And he goes, all right, I'm in. You see, God resists the proud. That's somebody who says, I don't have a problem. But he gives grace to the humble. So when I have a weakness, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because when I'm humble in my weakness, then I receive his grace, which is the undeserved favor of God. But if I'm going to deny my weakness and be prideful about it, he resists me in it. So actually being open and honest about what our weaknesses are is actually a strength, not a weakness. Because God shows us how strong on behalf of those who cry out to him. We've got to get over this thing where we think that we've got to cover up what we're struggling with and just know that when we see something that we're struggling with, all it does is point to a need for Jesus. It points me to a need of his grace. It points me to knowing that my identity must be in him and not in what people think. What my need does is it always points out, points to an area where I must call on and lean on and depend on God, whatever he shows me. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. And then his power comes to overcome what I'm going through. If you're full of pride, then you need his power to be humble and depend on him. If you have a lust issue and it's out of control, you need his truth to renew your mind and transform your heart. If you're materialistic and I'm loving the things of this world, then you need to fall in love with him so much that this world is not your home, but heaven is your home. You know, I'm not saying having nice things is wrong. I'm all for it. I want nice things. But as long as the nice things don't have you. Because at the end of the day, God's going to burn away everything that is wood, hail, and stubble. And all that's going to be left is the precious stones. And I'm not saying don't have nice things. I believe that God wants to prosper us in every area of life, financially, the whole shooting box. But don't think that the things are what's important. The things aren't important. The Bible says that our, our life here on earth is like a, like a breath. It's gone. But what we do here sets us up for what happens there for eternity. We've got to keep the right perspective. So whatever he shows you, it always points directly to our need for Christ. It takes courage to pray this prayer. Because when you pray it, he'll show you some things about yourself that you're not really proud of. But there's always grace. There is always grace. I'm not proud of my weaknesses, but praise God I have them because his grace is sufficient for me. Paul said this, I prayed several times and begged God to take away my fawn and my flesh, his weakness, his fear, his issue. But now I boast in my weaknesses for where I am weak, he is strong. Come on, friend. Weakness is not weakness. Weakness in God's hand is always strength. And there's always grace. And the fourth thing that it says is lead me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When you show me, really what he's saying is when you show me what I don't like about myself, 
and show me what needs to change, I know that you're going to lead me into the way of everlasting. I know that when this stuff comes out and I say, Jesus, I need your help, I, I need your grace, I need your freedom, then you will always come and you will lead me in the way of everlasting. So for me, it's Jesus. I, I need my identity to be completely in you. Everything about who I am has to be completely in you. And I refuse to perform for people. I only want to live for you. That's, that's the prayer I've got to keep praying to myself. Not that I don't love people, but I don't live for people. I live for him. And I've always got to do what he wants. And it's, I'm, I'm saying to him, help me. Help me with my weakness to live for the audience of one. Help me. Bring your grace and your power. Bring what it is that I need so that I know that my, my identity is in you and not in what I do. It's such a key thing in this life because too much of us believe we are what we do, not who we are born and created in the likeness of. And my security is in him and him alone. The thing is, though, is when you pray this prayer, and it's a dangerous prayer, and I encourage you to do it, is when you pray, he will show you your need. He will show you your need. But if you take that need directly to Christ, and you let Christ meet that need, and you conform to his image, it's a prayer that may be dangerous, but it will transform your life. It's a prayer that will transform your life. See, prayers like, you know, Jesus, take care of my kids, great prayers, but they're not prayers that will change your life. The greatest prayer we could pray for our children would be a prayer of search me, O God. Know my heart. Reveal my anxious thoughts. Show me where there's sin and lead me in a way that's everlasting. The best thing we could ever do for our kids is live that prayer best thing we could ever do for our community is to live that prayer. The best thing we could do for our unsafe family members is to live that prayer. The best thing that we could do for our workmates and our school friends is to live that prayer of search me God. Why don't you all stand to your feet this morning? We're going to put on the screen. I want you to say it with me this morning. I want us to pray this prayer this morning, the prayer of David. Maybe right now you're like, man, I don't really want to pray this prayer, but I'm going to do it because everybody else is doing it. That's cool. But there'll be some of you here that are like, you know what? I really want to pray this prayer. I'm scared. I'm a little, you know, because it's not, let's be honest with ourselves. It's, it's, a bit, it's a scary prayer to pray. Because what's God going to show about me? Yeah? What stuff am I going to have to process and deal with? But here's the thing. He's a good God, remember? Yeah? He's a good God. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be free of the stuff that has bound you and held you. This is not a prayer of punishment, but it's a prayer of freedom. It's a prayer of saying, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your power in my life. I need your love and your goodness and your mercy. The Bible says this, and it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. God, everything that God does for you is not driven to torture you, but it's driven by love for you. Because he wants you to be whole and he doesn't want the trauma 
to rule your life. He doesn't want your emotions to take over. He wants you to be free of the pain and the heartache. But it requires us to pray a prayer. Because he he's a gentleman and he doesn't move when he's not invited. And I want this morning to invite you to pray this prayer with me as we pray it very shortly. And, and if you mean it, I want you to pray it with all of your heart. I'm just saying, you know what? This is, this is going to be a prayer in my life. And every year I pray this prayer right at the start. And then I pray it at least once a month during the year. But at the start of the year, I always pray this prayer. God, search me. What do I need to change? What things do I need to adjust? What things are happening in my... What, because what, I want to be a better dad this year. I want to be a better husband this year. I want to be a better pastor this year. I want to be a better follower of Jesus Christ this year. I want to be a better member of my community this year. And that requires this prayer. And so if you're here with me this morning and you're like, man, I, I want to pray this prayer too. Why don't we pray this prayer together on the count of three? Are you ready? One, two, three. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Such a great prayer that you can pray. And I believe that during this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you'll pray this prayer every single day, God will come. He will come not, not with a baseball bat, but as a gentleman. He'll come with the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the nurturer, the healer, and he'll come to those areas in your life which you've tried to ignore for years, that you've tried to push down for years, and he won't come in a harsh way, but he'll come with his love and his grace and his anointing, and he'll, he'll soothe over the hurts, and he'll heal the pains, and he'll bring deliverance from those things for you so that you can live free, because who the sun sets free is free indeed. God does not expect you to live in tolerable recovery where you learn to live with your pain, but he's come to heal you. He's come to set you free. He's come to release you. It says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free, not to hurt them, not to punish them, not to judge them, but to set them free and heal their hearts. But it requires us to pray a prayer that says, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Reveal my anxious thoughts. Let me know what sin I need to deal with, but I thank you that in all of that, when I'm honest with you and I get down to the root causes of some of the stuff that's going on in my world, I thank you that out of that, you'll lead me into an everlasting way. David put it this way, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. At some stage, you've got to invite his grace and his mercy and his goodness to come into your pain and come into your traumas and come into the stuff that you're struggling with so you too can look back and not see the abuse, but you see the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. That You don't see that your dad left you at two years of age, but you see the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God, but it requires us to pray a prayer that says, search me, search my heart, search me. While every eye is closed and Every head is bowed this morning. Before you can pray a prayer that says, search me, you kind of need a prayer that says, forgive me. Because if you've never known God, 
maybe you've been brought up in church and maybe you've had experience of churches where you think God's this angry person and he just can't wait for you to sin so he can smack you over the head with a baseball bat. That's not our Jesus. Whoever's taught you that is preaching a false doctrine. The gospel is good news. Good news. It doesn't mean that sin isn't vile and sin doesn't destroy lives. It does. But God is not the God of sin. God is a God of love and grace and forgiveness. And so he sent his son to die on the cross for you so you don't have to live with that stuff. He wants to save you from it, release you from it, and he's died for you. The Bible says this, while you were still yet sinners, Christ died for you. And this morning, I want to give you an invitation before we speak to some other group of people this morning. If you don't know God, if you didn't know that he loved you, if you or even if you've walked or you've been away from him for a, a while and you know that you haven't been walking in his ways, and friend, I want to give you an opportunity this morning where we're basically saying, come and show me the way of everlasting. We're praying the prayer this morning. And if you're here this morning when no one's looking around and you want to give your life to Christ, or you want to make a recommitment to him this morning, can I just ask you right now, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and when I see it, I'll ask you to put it down. Is anyone here this morning? Thank you. Is anybody else this morning that wants to do that? Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Anyone else this morning? Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you right now, and I, I want you to pray kind of along with me, not out loud, but just along with me. Father, I thank you this morning right now that those that have lifted their hands, the six or seven people that have lifted their hands this morning, God, that you died on the cross for them because you love them. You've already provided forgiveness for them when you died on the cross and you said, it is finished. And so, Father, we speak to their spirits right now and their souls right now, and we say, receive the forgiveness of God this morning. Lord, that as they praying along with me this morning, Lord, that they would acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior and that they are going to become followers of you, that they've made a decision to become disciples of Jesus. I pray that you'd come in your grace and your mercy and your love and your goodness upon them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here this morning, and just keep your eyes closed so nobody worries about this, but you're here this morning and you're like, man, Craig, I, I, want, to, I want to be able to pray this prayer. i got some stuff in my world that I need God to come and put his grace upon. And I want to pray this prayer, but if you could pray for me, that I'd have the courage to pray it. That I'd have the courage to pray it, because it's a tough prayer. It's not a safe prayer. It's a day, but I'd have the courage to pray it this week, this month, this year, and for the rest of my life. If that's you this morning, I really want to pray that God would give you courage to pray this prayer. So if you're here this morning, you're like, man, Craig, I'd love it. If you could just pray for me this morning, that I'd have the courage to pray this prayer over my life for the rest of my life and let God's grace come into my pain. Why don't you just lift your hand right now across this place? That's you this morning. You need Jesus to come and His grace and help you pray this prayer. Come on, friend. Father, you see every hand raised in this place. God, ask Him for courage. Ask Him for the ability to pray this prayer over their lives and, and face some of the things that they may have to face and discover some things about themselves they may not like. But God, may they always keep in sight the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, that they'll always keep in sight that where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds all the more. Lord, that they'll always keep in sight that you're healer, that you're deliverer, that you're the God of grace, mercy, and kindness. 
and that they wouldn't be afraid to face up to some of the things that they need to deal with because they know that when they ask you to come, you don't come with punishment, but you come with love, you come with forgiveness, and you come with grace. And may that be their forefront. May that be at the forefront of their minds with every decision that they make. May they find some scriptures this week that they can tell themselves when their anxious thoughts come, that God is with me and God is for me, that God is not against me. I pray right now, God, that you would deliver them and lift them right now in Jesus' name.